Hello, it's Grant Cameron here with the Paranormal UFO Consciousness Podcast. This is sort of a special edition. I was just listening to some podcasts today and came across one with um, Emily Bledsoe Holloway, which I thought was very interesting, inspired a lot of thoughts, which I wanted to sort of shut down and talk about I've been friends with uh, Chris Bledsoe since 2012, uh, when I first met him. Um, I didn't know who he was. Uh, we both attended a, a very mysterious event that people may have heard about called The Gathering in Philadelphia in the fall of 2012, just after Chris had had his second experience with the Lady of Light. I didn't know who he was, but um, it seemed a lot of other people knew who he was. Uh, we come in at the airport, and the organizer of the event was moving people in uh, to the facility where the event, the, the hotel where the, we were staying, on buses. And I was on the same bus as Chris Bledsoe and his wife Yvonne. And I remember a bunch of people were going up to Chris, and they were asking him questions. And he was on the other side of the bus, farther back. And he was basically um, telling his story, and there was a bunch of people gathered around him all in awe of his story. I really didn't understand the story. I'd never heard it before. Uh, but Yvonne uh, was sitting right behind us. Uh, I had uh, my girlfriend at the time, Frida, was there, and um, she was basically talking to us. Uh, but for a lot of people know that Yvonne, this is not her big story. She said, well, this is Chris's story. I'm really um, not that really that interested in it. And she had some videos on her phone. She says, uh, I'm more interested in my family, and she started showing um, us videos of um, Emily, who was the youngest. Who was the youngest of the four children, and uh, she sings and she plays piano and she does this and she does that. She was busy showing us all these videos of uh, Emily. So that was when I first um, sort of got my first glimpse of the, the Bledsoe family. It wasn't until 2013 that uh, Chris and I really actually talked, and that was when I had attended the citizens' hearing in Washington, and I was going to lecture for Paula Harris in Florida, Sebring, Florida, and I was going to drive right past the Bledsoe house, so I contacted Chris and I said, can I stop in and see you? And um, so I stopped at the house, and uh, I met all four children. I don't remember so much talking to Emily as the others, but... Basically, uh, what I was trying to uh, get from them is stories that Chris had been telling about shadow people and about noises in the ceiling, these poltergeist-type events. And this goes to the, the whole story that you probably have heard about in Skinwalkers at the Pentagon, where they play up this whole uh, skin the hitchhiker effect. And it's this evil thing, and it follows people home, and it, you know, it, it attacks people, and it's very, very... Uh, sort of demonic and up to no good. And I remember Chris and I having this discussion. He was talking about the, the shadow people, the two-dimensional shadow people who go along the wall at very high speed and go through the wall. And we were having this discussion. And at that time, he thought they were uh, uh, not that good figures because they were they were dark. And I remember having this conversation and saying, well, because they're dark, they're evil. So we, had this, we were having this discussion. And I talked to all the children, and I talked to Yvonne, and everybody confirmed that they had all um, heard these footsteps in the attic walking around, and, or had seen the, uh, the shadow figures or had been pushed by the shadow figures. 
And um, that was one of the things I did with the children is they were all, the Bledsoe family is very open to visitors. Uh, I was greeted uh, by all the children and uh, by Chris and his wife. And uh, I was there on two occasions, on the one occasion going down and coming back from Florida. And that's when the famous dog experience with uh, Nellie occurred on the way back. But anyway, um, the Bledsoe uh uh, Ryan Bledsoe now has a podcast called Bledsoe Said So. And I was listening to uh, all the children now who have been on the show, and um, I'm listening to these, and I was listening to uh, Emily's uh, interview, long interview today, and she said a bunch of things that I would like to sort of uh, touch upon. Um, the other int- one I found of very in- great interest was Chris Bledsoe Jr., who I actually talked to when I was there, and I remember... Um, he had really not talked publicly about it. And, um, I remember him saying to me, um, that he would talk as long as his girlfriend wasn't there. And he was actually there when the dog incident happened. Uh, but he sat down with me and then his girlfriend came out and he stopped talking. And when I heard his interview on Bledsoe Seth, so I was kind of, <clears throat> kind of interested. Uh, but they, they were going to have to do a second interview with him because he left out some of the major parts of the story that he was involved with. And I'll just leave it at that, but um, he's now sort of gone public and he's told the story of being pinned down in the, uh, the forest by these two beings with red eyes. And um, there's a lot more to the story from what he has, has told on the podcast. So, Ryan, you need to have him on for a second time. Now, when it comes to Emily, um, as I said, I first heard about her um, when I was in Philadelphia. And this fact that she was this very um, musical person, very artistic person. And I remember when I was with Chris, we were sitting in the living room, and there was a um, an ink drawing. So Emily would be very young at the time. She had drawn this Audrey Hepburn uh, a portrait on the wall, which was done in ink, which was, I said, she actually drew that? It was like, you could tell exactly what it was. It was just uh, stunning. So um when Emily's interview came up today, I listened to it, and there was a couple of things that that um, sort of stood out to me uh, that she talked about. One again was this this hitchhiker effect, which people, anybody who's done any sort of paranormal research knows that the hitchhiker effect happens in all paranormal phenomena. This is not something that happened at Skinwalker Ranch with evil aliens that follow people home or, and stuff like that. I remember Ron Johnson. I told the story. Ron Johnson having this encounter. Uh, at a, um, a mausoleum in a graveyard where he got the camera all set up and he banged on the door and said, come out, we got the camera set up and this dark figure came out of this uh, sort of mausoleum and um, he got a photograph of it and uh, he said it was five years. The thing followed him around to three different locations over five years. He couldn't get rid of it. So this is something that happens all the time and it's a reflective type of, of phenomenon. So if you're... Uh, very negative. This can be a very negative phenomenon. If you're very positive, it can be a positive phenomenon that we, as, as Brandon Fugel has talked about with the Skinwalker Ranch, the phenomena is reflective, that it reflects your attitude when you go on there. So the Bledsoe's had this, uh, phenomena going on, but it was, it never did anything to anybody. I remember Chris saying that it had pushed it on some, once in the kitchen. But other than that, it really had done nothing. It was just there and it was, uh, uh sort of making itself known and, had it extended beyond the two witnesses. So the two main witnesses in the 2000, in January 2007 event that started this whole thing on the Cape Fear River were Chris uh, Sr. and Chris Jr. 
So when they came home, this hitchhiker effect started. They brought this thing home with them, and all the rest of the family started to have these experiences. And Yvonne was a, a prime example because she had no intention of, she had no interest in seeing this thing. Uh, even in the Yvonne episode, uh, they talk about the fact that she said, unless you see them waving out a window, don't call me. I'm not interested. She really was not that interested in the whole phenomena. This was more Chris's story. And so we have this hitchhiker phenomena that all the people started having these experiences. And I remember Chris telling me he had experiences, like dream-type experiences with beings. And he had locked himself in a room for six months and um, in the bedroom and really didn't want to come out. He was very, very traumatized by this whole event. And really didn't want to talk about it. And actually, this interview he's done now, uh, 15 years later, is the first time he's ever gone public and told part of his story. So you have this hitchhiker effect where all the kids started to see stuff. And Yvonne talks about three dreams, which I'll get into in a minute here. She starts having these, and all the kids start seeing stuff. And Yvonne starts seeing stuff. And this is the hitchhiker effect. that it, it Whoever brings it home, it starts to follow, and other people have it. But all the Bledsoe's will tell you, is that this is a very positive phenomenon that really hasn't done anything to anybody. In fact, um, I would maintain that it follows the theory of wow. So when you hear the kids talk about the, the phenomena, you have one very direct experience with Chris and um, and his son both encountered beings at the Cape Fear River in January 2007. But other than that, um, Yvonne saw a being once out the window that I um, uh, Emily saw three, but she sees them in dreams, three different types of beings. Uh, Ryan talked about one being that was in a, in a room one time that he saw. Um, and um, the other son, I'm not sure whether he saw anything. But so you have this thing, but basically beyond that, all the Bledsoe experiences are with orbs. With these things, and Chris is out there, and he's got hundreds and hundreds of films, and uh, NASA is now... Um, uh, Recording this, they've acknowledged the fact that they're they're keeping track of these these orbs that he's filming, and that's the particularly interesting thing is that this is a, a fun, this is a pattern inside um, of ufology that a lot of people don't realize is that uh, in a lot of major cases, it's not like you're seeing aliens every day. You have one very direct experience, very dramatic experience, and then it moves into this sort of orb type thing where they're there but they don't land, they don't really do anything. And I've asked lots of people when they, when they have their experience, I say, like, where'd it come from? And they go, I don't know, it just sort of appeared out of the sky. Where'd it go? It just sort of disappeared. What was it doing? It wasn't doing anything. It just appeared in front of me, and then it sort of disappeared. It wasn't really doing anything. It wasn't going anywhere. And I remember this back from my initial encounters in 1975. The first two I had were very dramatic. Uh, one flying right in front of the car, and the second one coming right at us, directly at us, and then making this turn. And as it was flying away, I, I thought to myself, well, what's it doing? It's not doing anything. It's just sort of flying along. Just, you know, we had, had made this joke that it was coming from the United States to pick up Canadian beer and head back because we, we really couldn't figure out why, why it was in this small town that had no industry and no anything. It was there all the time. So the orb thing is particularly interesting because all the kids report all these sightings and Chris has all these, these videos, but what it is is of orbs. And that's what happened to me in 1975. In 75, we had these big objects that were there. And then in 1976, it changed to what we call ground lights. Because in 1976, there was no, the, the word orb did not exist that I, I, I was familiar with. 
Um, and what we saw was not like uh, uh, white lights or orbs flying around the sky. These things were on the ground, so we called them ground lights. And the Canadian government guy that I talked to, who had worked for the Canadian government in the early 1950s on the project, called them monitors. He said, oh, those are monitors. He said we had them in the 1950s. These small uh, balls of light that would sit on the window and monitor what was going on in the UFO meetings that Wilbur Smith and his associates were having. So this is a sort of a pattern that the, the phenomena seems to give you one very direct experience where you have a direct encounter with beings and you're on the ship and stuff like that. And then after that, it sort of tails off to this sort of uh, what I call the theory of wow, where they just keep going, they keep going, they're showing themselves, they just keep you interested, and everybody uh, follows these things around. So a lot of the kids, and this was pointed out in this interview today, are, are seeing these orb-type things. And the, the question is, you know, what, what's this all about? In fact, uh, Emily tells the story that she was involved in the famous John Alexander event that occurred when John Alexander and his wife Victoria went in to uh, talk to Chris in Fayetteville, and they wanted to go down to the Cape Fear River where the event had taken place, and Chris took John down there. They were leaning on the front of the car, and uh, Victoria was frustrated that she couldn't see anything. She hadn't seen anything. She got in the car and shut the door, and, uh, and Emily still had her door open in the back seat, and she actually witnessed this thing. But if you like, take a look at what the actual sighting was, was it was like a giant flash, this big ball of light appeared, got bigger, 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 and then went out. And before uh, Victoria could get out of the car, this thing was gone. So it was this type of thing that I saw in 2017 at Mount Shasta, where I was anticipating that there would be a Zendra, like a portal thing, and the beings would be there, and we'd go into the Zendra, we'd have this encounter with the beings. And what it was, was like seven or eight flashes directly over my head. And everybody said, yes, it was directly over my head. And they, they were flashing, and uh, it was very spectacular, but that's all it was. It was just like a flashing, like a, a flash cube over and over again. And the one was very, very uh, bright, which I didn't see because I had my head down. And um, I, I remember thinking after that, I said, well, is, is that the best they can do? Because in 1975, I had these two very, very close encounters the first two times. And then I had one with the ground light uh, where I was within 50 feet of this thing. I was going to jump on it. So... Uh, this didn't seem very impressive to me at all, but that seems to be the pattern, that you have a very dramatic event, and then you have these uh, sightings where it's like orbs and stuff, but just sort of to keep you interested, where the idea is that they want you to, to think about it, to uh, review it, to keep you down the rabbit hole, and they really aren't doing anything other than trying to get our attention. It's not like they're landing and they're giving us messages and stuff like that. And this is, the Bledsoe family is one of the, the, the biggest stories there is. And you will see that the vast majority of that stuff is this orb type phenomenon. Now, it comes to the dreams. It was very interesting. Um, uh, Emily talked about uh, her dreams. She talked about three different beings that she saw in her, in her dreams. And uh, two of the beings that she saw uh, are, again, unique because they don't appear to be like any other beings that anybody else has seen. They were, they were very strange-looking beings, and that seems to fit the pattern that consciousness is unique. Uh, as Seth, the famous channeler back in the 60s and 70s, the one that started the New Age movement, said, uh, you, you, man, you manifest all that is around you. There is no other rule. And what you'll see in UFO sightings or, or being sightings is that you very rarely get two beings that look the same. Even when you get the grades, I did a PowerPoint presentation where I took all the photographs, all the, the, the drawings that had been done of grades, and put them one after another on a PowerPoint. Flip, bang, bang, bang. Great, 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 great. And you take a look, and 
none of them look the same. Even though they're all called greys, you would see there's a great difference in how people are drawing them, and some have ridges, and some have round eyes, and some have almond-shaped eyes, and some, you know, are sort of uh, tall, and some are uh, little tiny things, so you get this effect. So she had the two that were very unique to anything I'd ever heard before. But there's a third one that was very interesting, and that was the fact that she had seen, and I'll quote her, a tall hooded figure with no face, always watching me in the corner of my room. Now, this is interesting because two of the main government people, and Ryan always talks about the government people that came uh, to observe Chris, and the reason the government people came, uh, this is a sort of an expression that I heard, uh, because we cannot control the phenomena, we watch those who the phenomena is interacting with. And that, that's the whole deal, is that you, Chris has been watched by government officials because they're trying to figure out why has he got this this uh, contact. Now, two of the people that actually went to the Bledsoe house and spent a lot of time talking to Chris and trying to monitor his, his events and figure out what was going on, one was Tyler D. Now, Tyler D. is the famous NASA guy who um, uh, is ta- referred to as Tyler D. in the book American Cosmic. And I had the honor of meeting him in 2013 with Chris at a, uh, a cabin in Pennsylvania. And um, I was very interested in download experiences um, at the time. And he told me that he had had the experience. And he talked about the first time he'd had this experience um, where um, he got this invention. He's had about 40 different patents. And he believes that these are coming from this intelligence, the UFO intelligence. And it's all medical type stuff. But the first one made him an awful, awful lot of money. He had a company, made an awful lot, sold for an awful lot of money. And it was, he, as he told me, it was a, a, an invention where it came to him uh, when he woke up one morning and um, he had tried to get this thing put on the space shuttle. They wouldn't put it on the space shuttle to test whether this would work or not. And he actually got a scientist to sign off on it because he's an engineer, a scientist to sign it. And he got it on the space shuttle and the experiment did work. So he had this um, invention medical invention that this, it made him an awful lot of money and uh, was brought into the Pentagon. The general, this one general, it's disgusting, but the one general is yelling, who, who came up with this idea? He, well, he told me, because I was interested in the download experience, he said, you know, Grant, the last thing I remember the night before, the night that I woke up, when I woke up in the morning, the last thing I remember the night before was a hooded figure standing at the end of the bed. And this is the same as Emily. So Emily sees this hooded figure and Tyler D., who actually goes to the Brad's house and studies them quite closely um, and documents what Chris is, is getting and was very interested in the Lady in Light. And, and NASA was very interested in the Lady in Light. Uh, had also had the, the shadow figure. So as soon as he told me that he'd seen this, this hooded figure standing at the end of bed, I immediately said to him, I said, could you see its face? He said, no, I couldn't see its face. The face was blacked out. Now, that's very common that the face isn't seen. And, and uh, that's exactly... What, what, what Emily described, tall-headed figure with no face, always watching me in the corner of my room. So you have this connection between this hooded figure, which is, seems to be like a wisdom uh, figure that seems to be involved with uh, wisdom, because Brad Steiger was one. Uh, he'd written 190 books. Brad Steiger talks about how it started for him all, was the idea that he had, he had been approached by, uh, on the edge of the bed, was a hooded figure with no face. And it was after that that he started this this writing, and he called the being Elijah, and always attributed uh, his writing and the stories that he got to help from Elijah, from this hooded figure at the end of the bed. Now, the other person who um, uh, 
came to the Bledsoe house uh, a great deal, uh, also had the hood of figure. That is Jim Semivan. So Jim Semivan had his first experience in the early 1990s, and then he saw these Michelin men type people and uh, with his wife. And it was later, it was in the recent years, where a CIA friend of his dies. And that night he wakes up and this hooded figure comes through the wall, uh, floats across the room and goes through the other, through the other wall or out the other side of the room. And, um, when he finds out in the morning that his friend has died, he realizes that when his friend died was exactly the same moment when this hooded figure came through his bed. So you do have this very, uh, unique, uh, similarity of, uh, the hooded figure. So, uh, very interesting, uh, conversation. Uh, anybody who hasn't heard these conversations with Bledsoe children should listen to them. What you have is um, uh, four kids who have now done interviews, uh, how they were ostracized, how they were ridiculed as children because of what their uh, father had gone through, but have come out the other side now and realized that they are sitting on uh, one of the most important stories in ufology. So thank you, Emily, and thank you, Ryan, for doing the interview. Uh, extremely interesting because I actually have met these children and I know them. And uh, it's a wonderful family and an extremely important story that everybody should uh, pay attention to. So that's it. And uh, thanks for listening.